Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at All right, now I don't want you to just get a message this morning. I want your life to be changed forever, amen? If I, you know, if I, if I just speak without praying, you might just get information. I don't want information. We want transformation. And I'm going to share with you something that's deeply, deeply on my heart. I wrote on this all last year. The book just came out at the end of February. It's called The Awe of God. And uh, it actually hit number nine on the, uh, on the Wall Street Journal. And so anyway, it, it, it is a message I think that is resonating with people. They're saying this is so, so speaking to my heart. But I really want you to encounter the Holy Spirit this morning. I want you to encounter God. And so we have to ask him before I start, okay? Can we do that? Amen. Lift up your hands if you can and just say this with me. Or actually, let me pray. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come before you. And again, I'm overwhelmed by your goodness. Uh, If you made us slaves, we would have been so much better off than what we were. But you actually called us sons and daughters. You called us heirs of God, heirs with Christ Jesus of your glory. That is too good to comprehend. And so, Father, I am asking that you do what you love to do the most. And that is that you would glorify Jesus in our midst this morning. Reveal him to us in a way like we've never known him before. And as you do this, may we go from strength to strength, from glory to glory, and from faith to faith. For I decree your kingdom has come. Your will shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. For this we give you all the praise and the glory, the honor and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent name we pray. And everybody that agrees shouts. Come on, give him praise for what he's going to do. Amen, 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 amen. You can be seated. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something a little strange. I want you to sit down. I want you to close your eyes because I want you to listen to these words. I don't want you to miss what I'm saying. So just close your eyes. It's only going to be for about 45 seconds. And now listen to what I'm going to ask you. What if you were told of a hidden virtue that in essence is the key to all of life? It unlocks the purpose of your existence, attracts the presence the provision and the protection of your creator. It's the root of all noble character, the foundation of all happiness, and provides the needed adjustments to all inharmonious circumstances you might face. To firmly embrace this virtue guarantees success, safety, good health, a long life, and a noble legacy. You can open your eyes. Do these words sound too good to be true? I assure you, every single word is 100% truth. And these words were penned by probably one of the most successful men to ever walk the earth. His name was King Solomon. He was anointed by our creator to write these words. Every single word I just read to you. He walked in this virtue and he became extremely successful to the point that kings, queens, ambassadors, and nobles would come from all over the world just to see how he ran his nation. But he didn't treasure this virtue. And he let it slip. And when he let it slip, we get a gift from God. And that gift is called the book of Ecclesiastes. You say, that's a gift? Yes, it's a gift. There's two books people avoid. The book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes. Why? Two inspired books by two very uninspired men. 
Solomon writes words like this. I'm going to give you exact quotes. Everything is boring, utterly, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. History merely repeats itself and there's nothing new under the sun. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. These are exact quotes. The day you die is better than the day you're born. Who writes these words? A pessimistic cynic writes these words. He had a very jaded outlook on life. And can I say, being in ministry for 40 years, I've met a lot of people that have a very pessimistic, cynical look on life. However, the good news is Solomon didn't stay in this state. He recovered this virtue. He said seven times in the very last chapter of this book, remember God, especially in the days of your youth. And at the very end of the book, he says, the key to all of life is to fear God and keep his commandments. The virtue that I'm speaking of is none other than the holy, healthy fear of God. I want to read three verses of scripture here to open up. We read in the book of Isaiah chapter 33 verse 6 that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Now would you please pause a moment and think about the words you just heard. God's treasure? God has treasure. Yeah, it is God's treasure. It should be ours. The fear of the Lord, Isaiah 11 verse 3 says, was Jesus' delight. Paul the Apostle writes in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling, not love and kindness. So, we're talking about God's treasure, Jesus' delight, And the very key to maturing our salvation. Why aren't we talking about this more? So let me open up by asking the question. Because I will tell you this right now. I grew up in the generation where we tried to eradicate fear. Do you remember the t-shirts? No fear. FDR said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We have self-help books. We have people speaking on platforms all over the United States about getting rid of fear. The problem is we're human beings. We were made to fear. And the problem is this. We lumped all fear into an unhealthy bucket. I have news for you. There is constructive fears. There are destructive fears. Let me give you an example of a, a constructive fear. Okay, how many of you know the fear produces wisdom? The healthy fear of not being mauled by a mother grizzly bear will give me the wisdom to not mess with her cubs in front of her. That's a healthy fear. Okay, that will save my life. Yes, it can go unhealthy to where I won't even take a walk in the woods. That's unhealthy. There is healthy fears and unhealthy fear. The fear of the Lord is the healthiest of all because it delivers us from all unhealthy fears. So what is the healthy, holy fear of God? First of all, let me say this. It has nothing to do with being scared of God. How can we have a relationship of intimacy? And this is God's passion for you and I. How can we have a relationship of intimacy with somebody we're scared of? You can't. If you remember when Moses leads Israel out of Egypt, he brings them right to the mountain that he met with God at. That mountain is called Sinai. It was where the burning bush was. He wants those people to meet with the same God he met with because once he met with God, he never wanted to go back to the best palace and house in the whole world. 
Okay, so he brings them out. God says, I am so excited to meet my kids. Moses, tell them. The whole reason I delivered them out of Egypt was to bring them to me. That's the whole reason. He said, I want them all to be a kingdom of priests. I want them all to be able to come to me directly for themselves and for anybody else. God comes down on the mountain three days later. And you know what the people do? They scream and run away. And Moses is shocked by their behavior. So he looks at him in Exodus 20, 20. If you want a 20, 20 vision, here you go. He says, do not fear. Now look at these words. Do not fear because God's come to test you. What's the test? To see if his fear is in you so that you may not sin. Now wait a minute, Moses. Do not fear because God's come to see if his fear is in you. Is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? No, he's differentiating between being scared of God and the fear of the Lord. There's a difference. The person who is scared of God is something to hide. What does Adam do when he sins against the Lord? He hides from the presence of the Lord. The person who fears God is nothing to hide. That person's terrified of being away from God. So if you want the first definition of the holy, healthy fear of God, it is to be terrified of being away from him. The person who fears God doesn't say, how close can I get to the line of the world and not fall in? The person who fears God says, I want so close to him, I don't even see that line. Are you getting this? All right. So what is the awe of God? The awe of God is simply this. It is to honor, to tremble, to revere, to esteem, respect, value, and venerate him more than anything or anyone else. When we fear God, we take on his heart. What is important to him becomes important to me. What is not so important to him is not so important to me. We literally embrace loving what he loves and we hate what he hates. Now, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say we dislike what he hates. Now, let me, let me, let me deliver you from the fear of legalism. Legalism back in the day. Remember they go, ah. I fear God. That's why I hate those sinners over there. Uh, you don't fear God at not even a little bit because you hate who he loves. Those sinners over there, Jesus, the creator of the universe came and suffered so deeply that they couldn't even recognize his body as a human being and shed every drop of blood because he's so in love with them. You don't fear God at all. You hate who he loves. What God hates is the sin that unmakes them. Because that sin unmakes the object of his love. And that sin is destroying them. You got it? That's why the Bible says all who fear the Lord. Look at this. All who fear the Lord will hate, not dislike. So if you dislike, you need to take a good look at your heart. If you dislike what drove Jesus to the cross, you need to examine some things. Because when you have this virtue, you will hate all evil. That's why he goes on to say, I hate pride. I hate arrogance. I hate corruption and perverted speech. I'll never forget when I was a young minister back in the early 1990s, I was praying two hours every single morning. I'd get up at 445. I would be done praying at seven and I would be in the office by eight. But yet when I preach, my words didn't carry weight. They didn't carry authority. And I was getting a little upset. And one day I'm in prayer and I just let it go. And I said, God, I am frustrated. My words just seem to go boing, 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 boing. They have no authority. They have no anointing on them. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me that morning. He said, because you tolerate sin. I said, what? 
He said, read Hebrews 1, son. And I went over to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, Hebrews 1 is where God the Father inaugurates Jesus as king of the universe. This is what God the Father says to Jesus. He says, because, now look at this, because you have loved righteousness. He said, son, stop. You love righteousness. But I didn't stop there. And hated, hated, hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, even your God has anointed you more than your companions. He said, son, you learn to hate sin the way I hate sin, and you'll see the anointing of God increase on your life. That changed my life. So, so let me get right to it this morning, because I've only got a few minutes here. If you want to categorize the fear of the Lord into two major categories, you can put it into two. Number one, to tremble at his presence. Number two, to tremble at his word. Paul says fear and trembling four times in the New Testament. It's not just fear, it's trembling. <laughs> and I'll share it with you, okay? Because look, look, look at this. God says to his people in Jeremiah chapter 5, do you not fear me? Will you not tremble at my presence? Psalm 89 verse 7 says God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those who surround him. You will never find the Lord in an atmosphere where he's not held with the utmost of respect. And let me tell you, when I first discovered this, back in 1997, I was asked to the nation of Brazil to speak at their national conference. I was so excited. I had not been to Brazil before, and this was a nationwide conference, people traveling from all over. And I remember flying down there. They drive me to the arena. It's not an auditorium. It's an arena. And uh, it was, unfortunately, it was back in the days when they made Pastors sit on the platform. Anyway, I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. Anyway, you feel like a spectacle, you know? But anyway, so I'm standing on this platform. There's not a seat open in the arena. It's jam-packed. And the first thing I noticed was there was no presence of God. There was no tangible presence of God. Jesus said, I'll manifest myself to you. Uh Uh-uh, there was no manifestation of his presence. And I'm not used to this. I, I, I sense the presence of the Lord as we worship this morning, as, as Pastor was sharing this morning. I, there was no presence. And I, I closed my eyes. I said, God, where's your presence? And I opened my eyes and saw something I didn't notice before I prayed. I noticed the people were standing around with their arms crossed, looking like this. Their hands were in their pocket. They were walking around, high-fiving each other, talking, visiting. There were people walking down the aisles into the concession, their concession stands all around the arena, getting their nachos and going back to their seat. You know. And I thought, wow, this will stop. Well, the music, the worship sets over, and, 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 and one of the leaders comes up and begins to read from the Bible. And because now there's no music, you can hear a mutter from all the people talking. There's people moving around talking all this. And I'm like, what is going on? And the Spirit of the Lord speaks to me and said, son, you must address this. I'm like, yeah, but how? They're, they're not even listening. And, and he gave me an idea. So I walked. When they introduced me, I walk up to the the, to, to the podium. My translator's right here. I'm here. And I just put my elbow on the podium and just stared at everybody. Didn't say a word. Now, when you're the Friday night guest speaker of the national conference and you've been introduced and you are just staring at the people for about 60 seconds, that will get everybody's attention. And I remember when everyone stopped talking, I realized every eye in the arena was on me. This is the first words I ever spoke in public in Brazil. I didn't show my picture of my family. I I didn't say, hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. This is the first words that came out of my mouth. I have a question. I said, here's my question. 
You're sitting across the table talking to somebody. whole time you're talking to them, they got their arms crossed as if they're disinterested, their hands in their pocket, or they're whispering to somebody sitting beside them. Will you continue to talk to them? No. I said, I've been in this arena for an hour, over an hour, and there's not an ounce of the presence of God here because I'm going to tell you his presence is not here because you've given him no respect. I said, if the president of your nation would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have given him 10 times the respect you did the Holy Spirit. I said, if Pele, your greatest soccer player in the history of Brazil, your national hero, would have walked on this platform, you would have been on the edge of your seats, listening and anticipating every word that comes out of his mouth. I said, you've given no respect to the Spirit of God. And for 75 minutes, I preached to them on the fear of the Lord. At the end of 75 minutes, I looked at him and I said, all right, if you're in here, now this is a believer's conference. And I said, you say you're a Christian, but you lack the fear of God and you're willing to repent, stand up. 75% of the arena stands up. As soon as they stand up, the presence of God comes. I'm like, Lord, we didn't even pray yet. People are weeping all over the auditorium, right? And so I lead them in a prayer of repentance and there's a lull. It's like there's a lull in the presence. And in the lull, the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and said, son, I'm coming one more time. Now, there is no way I can ever, ever describe what happened next. We had emails and snail mail about it for 20 years. Okay. But within 30 seconds of him saying, I'm coming one more time. Imagine yourself at the end of the runway here at the airport in Boise and a Boeing jet takes off in front of you. That kind of a violent wind came blowing into that arena. When it did, the people started screaming in prayer. Now, can you imagine thousands of Latinos screaming in prayer? That's loud. But yet the wind was louder. Now, I am standing on that platform and I'm not going, dude, this is cool. I'm terrified. Okay, I'm not kidding. But yet I'm drawn to it. Okay, I know it's counterintuitive, but it's the truth. I'm literally terrified. The longer it goes, the more I'm terrified. But I'm drawn to it. And I remember I had the thought, John Bevere, you say one wrong word. You make one wrong move. You're dead. Would that have happened? I don't know. But a man and a wife brought an offering to their local church in Jerusalem in Acts 5. And they fell over dead with irreverence. I knew irreverence wouldn't be told. The authority, I had never encountered that kind of authority. And I remember just standing there, trembling. And, and the wind lasted 90 seconds. It gradually subsided, left in its wake. People collapsed all over the arena. They're collapsed in the chairs in front of them. They're weeping. And, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, God, what do I do? And, and I'm like, keep asking, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Five minutes into it, the Lord goes, um, I'm through with you tonight, son. I said, okay, it's all yours, I said to the leader. <laughs> okay. So they whisked me out to the car. They put the, the soloist in the car with her husband, and she screams, did you hear the wind? I said, it was a jet aircraft that flew too low above the building. She goes, what are you talking about? And her husband quiets her down. He goes, sir, that wasn't a jet airplane. I said, how do you know? He said, there were pl- security men and policemen all around the outside of the building. He said, when the wind began to blow, they came running in saying, most of them aren't even saved. He said, they, they were like, they're union workers. He said, what is the sound of the wind? He said, I'm staying at the soundboard and I'm looking at the decimal meters because I got to be at the soundboard for my wife's volumes. The decimal meters were at zero the whole time the wind blew. Not one ounce of the sound came through our sound system. I I said to them, I do not want to go eat. I want to go to my hotel. And I remember sitting on my balcony till 1.30 in the morning just worshiping God in awe, in awe. 
literally in awe. The next morning, you cannot believe the miracles that happened in that arena because of holy awe. You know, 2016, I go down to Brazil, Guayania, Brazil, to speak to 12,000 pastors and leaders, right? I remember when I get out of the vehicle, the very first pastor I meet shakes my hand, says, I was in the building when the wind blew 20 years ago. My life has never been the same. That is because when you encounter God's awe, you are never, ever the same. Leviticus, the 10th chapter, the third verse, God makes a universal and an eternal decree. He says, by those who come near me, I must. There are the should be's in scriptures and there is the must be's. You're wise to heed the the should be's. You're a fool to ignore the must be's. I must be regarded as holy. You know, it used, I used to struggle to get into the presence of God, Tracy. I mean, I just, I, I'd pray and pray and pray. And finally there's his presence. And one day I thought, you know, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pray in the spirit. I'm not going to pray in English. I'm just going to think about the awesomeness of my dad. And all of a sudden, bam, there's his presence. I was like, Ooh, that was easy. The next morning I did it again. I thought there it is again. Whoa. Next day I said three days. I tried it again. There he is again. I said, Lord, it's getting so easy getting your presence. And the Spirit of God said to me, Son, how did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Our Father which art in heaven, how... Oh my gosh, there it is. Hallowed be your name. You taught Jesus, your disciples, you can only come into the presence of God with reverential fear. When I was in Malaysia, well, I've been in Malaysia like five or six times, but 1999, I was in Malaysia, and it was a national meeting. It was in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And people had come from all over the nation. You know, Malaysia is an Islam state, Islamic state. And um, it wasn't an arena this time. It was, it was an auditorium. And it was jam-packed. And that presence hit again. I mean, I've only experienced this about five or six times in my life. I, I want you to know that, okay? But this time, it was even more intense. This time... I remember, now there's not a wind this time, but it was more intense. And I remember, I had the thought again, Bavir, say one wrong word, make one wrong move, you're dead. And I, I, w- I remember on this one, I was walking back and forth going, oh my God, my God, my God. And that's when I found out there was a difference between my head and my heart, because my head's going, I can't handle this. And my heart was going, God, please don't lift. It was, it was an argument. I'm terrified, but I'm drawn to it. And I remember out of my mouth comes these words. This is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And my head registered and went, oh my gosh, that's what the Bible says. Because I'm going to show you Isaiah 11, it's totality. Look at this. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord. I thought that's one of the manifestations of your Holy Spirit. I remember when that meeting was over, the, the leader, so wise, he walks up and he goes, and this, this one lasted about five minutes. You, you feel like it's forever. Yeah. And I remember, and it's a good forever. It's not a bad forever. <laughs> it's a really good forever. And I, I, I remember he comes up and he goes, we're going to close with a song. We're not doing it. And he said, just stay as long as you want. And I remember I stayed about 15 minutes and I started walking out and there's a couple from India that is standing in the back of the auditorium. And I noticed they got really nailed by this presence. I mean, she was on the floor weeping. 
and we're just staring at each other. What do you say after something like this, right? And we're just looking at each other. And finally, she breaks the silence and she goes, I feel so clean inside. I said, that's it. Now, I didn't respond like that. In, in my mind, I go, that's it. That's what I felt in Brazil. That's what I feel now. That's what I felt in California. That's what I felt in North Carolina. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. So I go back to my hotel room that night. I think, clean, clean. She nailed it. I feel so clean. So the next morning, I'm getting ready to play basketball with, I'm not near as good as you or you, um, but I'm getting ready to play basketball. With, I could have used you guys that morning. But anyway, um, I, I'm getting ready to play basketball with the, uh, with the Bible school students in Malaysia, right? And I'm putting on my gym shorts and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he said, son, read Psalm 19. Now I have no idea what's in Psalm 19, but I just get my paper Bible because didn't, I didn't have an iPad in 99. And I open up my paper Bible and I just start reading verse one, two, three. I get to verse nine. Now look at this, verse nine. The fear of the Lord. Look at this. The fear of the Lord is clean. I went, oh my gosh, there it is. The fear of the Lord is clean. I thought that's what she said. And then look at the words, enduring forever. God speaks to me in the hotel room. I'm in the middle of putting my gym shorts on. He speaks to me and he said, Lucifer led worship right before my throne. He beheld my glory. What no man has ever seen or can see. He beheld my glory. He was anointed to do so. He didn't fear me. He didn't endure forever. A third of the angels surrounded my throne. They beheld my glory. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure forever. They were cast out of heaven like lightning. He said, son, Adam and Eve walked in the presence of my glory in the garden. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure in the garden forever. He said, every created being that surrounds my throne throughout eternity is going to be tested in the holy fear of God. I started thinking. Pastors have started in ministry. They were excited. They loved Jesus. They loved people. They didn't endure in ministry forever because they didn't fear God. Barna has done a deep dive study, and I, 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 I have wept over this. 23 million people in the United States have walked away from the faith since the year 2000. 23 million. Over. It's over. And you know, they're not just quiet. They are now professing atheists, agnostics, and spiritualists. 23 million is one one out of every 14 Americans. Not one out of every 14 that go to church. One out of every 14 Americans have walked away. Paul said it. Before the day comes, there's going to be a great falling away. It's It's right there. Okay? But this is what Paul does not write. He didn't say they're not going to come back. And I believe just as John the Baptist was sent after the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I believe there's a company of men and women, young men, young women, older men, older women. They're going after the lost sheep in the church. Amen. Amen. All right. So second, fear of the Lord is trembling in his presence. Number two, it is to tremble at his word. Uh, Israel got to the point in time in their history where they became a little like the American church. They were selectively obeying God. If it was convenient, fit in with their schedule, they'd obey. If they didn't agree, they kind of just let it slip. God comes to them one day and says, you know what? Your lamb sacrifices are like offering me pig's blood. Oh my gosh, you can't say anything more offensive to a Jew. And then the Lord says to them, you want to know who I pay close attention to? On him who is humble, contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. This is the second manifestation of the holy fear of God, is to tremble at the word of God. What does it mean to tremble at the word of God? It means obedience. 
Yeah, it's not a four-letter word. Obedience. When we obey God instantly, okay, immediately, David made the statement, I will hurry to obey your commands. That's Psalm 119, New Living Translation. I will hurry. You ever meet somebody that goes, well, you know, the Lord's been knowing me about this now for several months. <laughs> You're bragging about your lack of fear of God. Wow. It means we'll obey him when it doesn't make sense. Does it, d- 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 hey, whoa, whoa. Does it make sense to, to forgive somebody who's hurt you? Does it make sense to bless those who curse you? Does it make sense to love your enemies? Does it make sense to tell a bunch of skilled sailors, don't leave the ship when there's lifeboats readily available? Because if you leave the sinking ship, you will die. That makes no sense. It means we obey God when it hurts. Do you know what the Bible says in Philippians 2? That Jesus obeyed the Father to the point of death. To the point of death. Now, religion says, I'm going to go out and suffer to please the God I serve. That's religion. Christianity says, I'm going to obey God and I live in a very, very hostile world and I'm going to suffer as a result of my obedience. That's why Peter writes, as Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself for the same because he who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, he's no longer walking in the fear of man. He's been freed to walk in the holy fear of God. Because you will serve who you fear. You fear man, you'll end up serving man. You fear God, you'll end up serving God. Good preaching, John. Amen. Thank you so much. It means we'll obey God even if we don't see a benefit. Do you know what? It's really sad. People do not line up to go to a seminar on obedience. It's really, really sad. Why? Because we've developed disciples in America that will obey God. And I know it's not true in this church. They'll only obey God if they see the benefit. If you give, God will do this. If you serve, God will do this. If you pray, God will do this. Will he do all those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what if Esther bought into that doctrine? Of the only way I'm going to obey is if I see a benefit. She's queen to the Persian king, the number one king on the planet. And she's got to go before him to save the Jewish nation. And if he doesn't point that scepter at her, even though she is his wife, her head comes off. And she looks at her cousin and says, I'm going before the king. If I die, I die. She's got everything to lose and nothing to gain. But she obeyed. She feared God. It means we obey to completion. Saul, King Saul, does 99.99% of what God told him to do. But yet God said he's disobeyed me. Well, why don't you look at my 99.99% obedience? No fear of God. Still with me? Now I want to talk about the benefits of the holy fear of God. In my 30 years of really praying and digging, I have found over 40 unique benefits in Scripture that God says is given to those who walk in the fear of God. The number one benefit is an intimate friendship with God. Proverbs 1 verse 5 and Proverbs 2 verse, excuse me, Proverbs 1 verse 7 and 2 verse 5 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the starting place of an intimate friendship with God. Psalm 25 verse 14 says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. 
Can I ask a question? Who do you share your secrets with? Acquaintances or intimate close friends? God's no different. God says, I share my secrets with my intimate close friends and my intimate close friends are those who fear me. Let me prove to you I'm not taking the scripture out of context. I'm going to show you the same scripture in the New Living Translation. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear them. Fear him. With them, he shares his secrets. Who is the first person that is called the friend of God in scripture? Abraham. Why is Abraham called the friend of God? Because when Abraham's really old, God comes to him one night and goes, Abe, yes, 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 Lord, yes. Abe, you know your son that you waited for for 25 years that I promised to you that you love more than anything or anyone else? I want you to go on a three-day journey and kill him for me. <laughs> did, you, did you just, come on, he doesn't have Genesis to read. Okay, so please, God just says, I want you to go kill him for me. And, and God doesn't say, if you kill him, then I'll send my son. He doesn't say, he just says, go offer him up. You know what my Bible says? Can you imagine that night? You know what my Bible says? Early the next morning, Abraham's on his way. Now, God, it might be easier, I should say it like this, it might be easier when you heard a booming voice of God the night before, but what about two and a half days later? You've not heard a peep from heaven, and you're looking at the mountain, you're going to put the most important person or thing to death in your life just because God said do it and didn't give you a reason. He goes to the top of the mountain. He's building the altar with his own son. Ties his 13-year-old son on the altar. Lifts the knife. Is ready to put the most important person or thing to death in his life. Just because God said do it and didn't give him a reason. And the angel appears and says, Abraham, stop. Because now I know that you fear God. How's How's the angel know that Abraham fears God? Because he obeyed instantly. Because he obeyed when it didn't make sense. Because he obeyed when it hurt. Because he obeyed when he didn't see a benefit. And because he obeyed to completion. Abraham puts down the knife, unties his son with great relief, I might add. And he sees a ram caught in the thicket. And out of his spirit comes Jehovah Jireh, which is the name of God and an attribute of his personality. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham. No human being had ever known before because he's my friend. Some of you aren't connecting Okay, every one of you know me as John Bevere communicator. Some of you know me as John Bevere author, but there is a lady, and I showed you her picture. She knows me as John Bevere best friend, John Bevere dad, John Bevere G-daddy, John Bevere athlete, John Bevere husband. Can I say this? None of you will ever know me as John Bevere husband. That is a facet of my personality is only reserved for the closest one to me on the earth. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Now look at the relationship between God and Abraham. It's amazing. One day God says, should we do what we're planning on doing to Sodom and Gomorrah without first talking to our friend Abraham? So God comes down, gets Abe. They go to the cliff. They overlook the plains of Jordan. And God says, Abe, we're thinking about blowing up these two cities over here. What do you think? Abe goes, Sodom? Yeah, the Lord goes, yeah, 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 and Gomorrah. What do you think? Abraham goes, think, think, my nephew. My nephew's over there. He's in Sodom. Oh my gosh, think. Okay, God, Father, you, you... You wouldn't like blow up those two cities if there was 50 righteous people, would you? And the Lord goes, excellent, excellent idea, excellent. Okay, we'll not blow up the cities if there's 50 righteous people. Glad we talked to our friend Abraham. Abraham goes, what if there's some 50? Okay, Lord, how about 45? Would you blow it up if there's 45? Another good idea. Okay, we won't blow up the city if there's 45. Well, Abraham talks him down to 10. He 
figures there's got to be 10. Lot's one. All he needs nine others. But there's not. Now listen carefully. The Bible says Sodom and Gomorrah is buying, selling, planting, harvesting, marrying, and giving in marriage. What is that in today's vocabulary? Life is great. The economy's booming. And if there is a God, he doesn't mind our lewd lifestyle. They're 24 hours away from being obliterated and they're clueless. That's not what's scary. That's not. This is what's scary. Lot. Everybody say Lot. Who the Bible calls righteous. Second Peter chapter 1. Look it up. I'm going to put it in today's vernacular. Saved. Born again. Christian. He's 24 hours away from being obliterated. And he's as clueless as Sodom and Gomorrah. It takes two angels. Messengers of mercy. To get him out because Abraham prayed. Thank God Abraham prayed. Now we have two righteous men. Abraham Lot. Two saved men. Two born again men. This righteous man knows what God's going to do before he does it. Helps God decide how he's going to do it. This righteous saved born again man is as clueless as the world. Why? Because this righteous saved born again man fears God. Therefore he's the friend of God. Therefore God shares his secrets. This righteous, saved, born-again man is not the friend of God, even though he's saved, because he doesn't fear God. Therefore, he does not know the secrets of God. You say, John, that's the Old Testament. Let me, is that in the New Testament? It actually is. <laughs> Jesus makes the statement right before he leaves, and he said, you are my friend. He's talking to the 11 that have been with him through all of his trials, that have been faithful. He said, you are my friends. We write songs about this. We we preach sermons. We write books about it. But we never finished it. Because look what he says. You are my friends if. If is a condition. In other words, this is not true unless this condition is fulfilled. What is the condition? You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. There it is. The fear of the Lord. Trembling at his word. You know what Jesus is saying there? Not everybody in the church is my intimate close friend. I don't share my secrets with everybody in the church. You know, Israel only knew God by how he answered their prayers. Israel knew his works. Moses knew his ways. Do you know how many people in the church today, they only know God by how he's answered their prayers. My daughter was sick. Pastor prayed. She's healed. But they don't know the secrets of God. you experience the secrets of God the best Super Bowl ever doesn't match it you may think that's crazy it's true I would take that over anything anything but so many people don't know what it is and that's why they've walked away from the faith because they came to know a superficial Jesus because they were told they could come to Jesus and keep all their idols, all their sin, all their pet sins, all their lovers. They weren't told the truth that you have to repent, which means break up with all your old boyfriends. All that sin that put him on the cross and say, you're mine. I'm going to end it with this. There's so many benefits. You'll have to read the book. There's over 40 benefits. I want, to, I want to talk about one other. We hear it a lot. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everybody say the beginning of wisdom. 
Man, I could talk about joy. I could talk about posterity. I could talk about success, length of days, long life. All these are promises to people that fear God. Okay? But I want to talk about wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the starting place for wisdom. Now, we've heard people say that, but what we haven't done is completed the message. Because it's not only the beginning of wisdom, it's actually the continual flow of wisdom. Let me share this with you. Proverbs chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter, what is it? Uh, help me, guys. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The word Hebrew word fountain there means a continual flowing source. Now, notice what it does. It will turn you away from the traps of death. So death is a trap. Anybody that traps in here knows your trap has to be baited and camouflaged. Death is baited and death is camouflaged. Got it? Now, it's a fountain. It's a continual flowing source. If you look at Proverbs chapter 15... It says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Now, put those two scriptures together, and what do you get? Look at this. You get, holy fear is a fountain, a continual flow of the instruction of God's wisdom. It will turn us away from the traps of death. Can I give you an example of a man in scripture who had no relationship with God, but he feared God? You say, John, you can fear God and not have a relationship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about Cornelius? He's a Roman centurion. He's a devout man. You know what devout means? It means a man who feared God. His fear of God attracted the angel. The angel said, I can't tell you how to get saved, but there's Peter down the road and at Simon's house, the tanner. Go get him and he'll tell you how to get saved because I really want to have a relationship with you. I mean, isn't that cool? Okay. I'm going to tell you another man who had no relationship with God, but he feared God. His name was King Abimelech. He was the king of Gier. Now, Abraham and Sarah come into Gier. And Sarah is gorgeous. So Abraham says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present you as my sister, not my wife. Because they'll kill me and take you. This godless nation. He didn't know that he's dealing with a king that feared God. So when the king of Bimlech sees Sarah, he goes, whoa, dude. This is a done deal. You're in my harem. And he takes Sarah into his harem. So God comes to Abimelech in a dream and says, you are a dead man. Because the woman you have is another man's wife. Do you see that? Okay. Now, you know what Abimelech says to God in the dream? Lord, which Lord means my Lord. Isn't that interesting? Lord, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I was told she was his sister. And God goes, look what God's response is. I know you are innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. Okay. The fear of the Lord was a continual flowing source of God wisdom to protect him from the trap that Abraham set for him. Wow. Now, how can a man sit in church every Sunday for 20 years and hear the word of God and end up in bed with another man's wife? Not rocket science. No fear of God. How can a minister preach from the Bible on a regular basis? And end up in bed with another man's wife. It's not a rocket science. No fear of God. You still with me? Let me end with this. I'm gonna, this is Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 from the Passion Translation. Live in the holy awe of God. Which brings you trembling into his presence. God will continually revitalize you. Implanting within you the passion to do 
what pleases him. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for giving us what you've given to us today. And I'm so grateful, Holy Spirit, you helped again. Oh, am I so grateful for you. Now, Lord, I'm asking you, please draw men and women to the heart of Jesus. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the most important words I am going to speak are about to come out of my mouth. And I want everyone to listen. I think one of the things that has kept people from having an authentic relationship with our creator is the sinner's prayer we coined. Why is that? Because a person can pray a sinner's prayer and still have their idols in their heart. The sins that they embrace that Jesus died to set them free from. The Apostle Paul makes a statement in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall be joined together. A man shall leave his, his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall be made one. But he said, this is actually an illustration of the way the church and Jesus are one. So God gives us a living illustration of how to have an authentic relationship with him. The marriage between a man and a woman. When a woman puts on a white dress, remember, we're called the bride. He's the groom. When a woman puts on a white dress and walks down an aisle, she's actually making a pretty strong statement. She's saying goodbye to about 3.9 billion guys. She's saying, this is the one and only man I'm giving the rest of my life to. How in the world have we ever fallen so far from that truth where we think all we got to do is get people to pray a formula prayer? You have to make a decision. You know, when Lisa married me, I asked her to marry me. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Listen carefully. She didn't look at me and say, you know, Tony was my high school sweetheart. We dated for two years. I'd like two nights a year in bed with him. I was pinned to Peter in college. I, I, I would really like four or five nights with him a year. I never would have entered that marriage covenant. And we think Jesus is coming back for a church that's sleeping with the world. How deceived have we been? He's coming back for a bride that's given herself to him the way he gave himself to her before you ever knew who he was. He being your creator said, I know I'm going to have to go through this grueling punishment. I'm going to be despised. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be lied about. I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be punched in the mouth. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to have thorns shoved into my skull. I'm going to be scourged. A lead tip whip with bones and are going to come and rip my flesh open so bad that when I hang on the cross, people won't even know I'm a human being. And he knew because Isaiah prophesied it. And Isaiah was only prophesying his word. He did that because he loved you. How can we ever think that he's coming back for a church that has other lovers? Please, I implore you, listen to these words. If he loved you that much before you even knew who he was, how much more are his arms open to you this morning? But just as I wouldn't have made a covenant with Lisa if she said, I'm going to sleep with Tony a few nights a year, he's not going to make a covenant with you because that's not what any bride does. If you're in here this morning, you say, John, truth be told, I really haven't 
done what that bride does. But boy, I can't, couldn't wait until you're finished. I'm ready to give him everything. My spirit, my soul, my body, everything I am. Because when you do that, you get all he has. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand up high right now. Don't look around and see if other people are raising their hands. Wow. It's like 200 hands in the air. If your hand's in the air, stand to your feet because no bride's ever been ashamed of her groom. And Jesus said, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my father. If your hand's raised, stand. Only the people that raise their hands, please. Yes, thank you. All right. I want you to look at me. Everybody that's standing. Whoa, whoa, there's still people standing. I'm going to wait. You know, Lisa had to take a few minutes to think about if she wanted to say goodbye to Tony and Peter. It's okay. Count the cost. Is there anyone else? Yes, sir. You were worth the wait. Thank you. Anyone else? I, I, I don't want to miss anybody. This is too important. Yes, ma'am. You were worth the wait. Yes, sir. I'm so proud of you. Anybody else? I, I, I just, I'm not going to pray until I get released. Is there anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. So proud of you. Anybody else? All right. Now listen, look up at me. This is what I want you to do. I want you to break up with the boyfriends right now. Come on, break up with them. Hey, listen, Lisa wasn't perfect after we got married, but her heart was hundred percent loyal to me. She said, bye-bye boyfriends. I want you to break up with those pet sins you've entertained, you've flirted with, you've embraced. You know what they are. The Holy Spirit's been talking to you because he's trying to help you have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to break up with them at your seat. And when you do, you've already done it. You're doing it the whole time I'm seeking. Slip out in the aisle. Come all the way down. All the way down. I want to pray for you guys. Come on. Give them a hand as they come. I'm so proud of you. I love you, man. Come on. Come on. I'm so proud of you. Come on. Come on. Give them a hand. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you, darling. I'm so proud of you, sir. I'm so proud of you, sir. Come on. Come on. Give them a hand. That's a patty cake. Hey, I'm so proud of you. You're about to become a princess. You too. You too. Come on, give him a hand. Give him a hand. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Come on. Okay. Okay. I want you all to look at me. Why do you have such sad looks on your face? This is like the greatest decision you've ever made. You ever see a bride walking down the aisle going, oh man. Do you understand? If you could see him right now. Matter of fact, I'm going to pray that you do. Close your eyes. I'm going to pray you get a glimpse. You know, the prodigal son just made the decision. I've been a jerk and just started home and his dad came running with gifts. Let me tell you something. God saw you at your seat saying, I've been a jerk. And you were turning and God was already meeting you. That's why some of you were starting to cry before I ever even had you come up here. Just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Just close them. And I want you to open up the eyes of your heart. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, give them a glimpse. Give them a glimpse. Let them see Jesus. Lift your hands up now. You say, lift my hands. Yeah, that's an outward sign of what you're doing. You're saying, Jesus, my life is yours. Lift them up. Lift them up. Now open the eyes of your heart. Open up. What do you see? Spirit of the living God, show them. 
See the eyes? See the eyes? It's okay. Okay. See his eyes? See his eyes? You notice his eyes aren't angry? You notice his eyes aren't angry? Do you see that? <laughs> I'm so glad. Everybody's responding a little different. Just enjoy his presence. Now I want you to pray this to the one you're looking at. See his eyes? They're filled with joy. See the smile? It's not just the smile. He's so happy. Do you see that? You see his arms outstretched to you? Do you see that? Now pray this with me. Speak to the one you're beholding. Say, Jesus. Say this out loud. Jesus, thank you. Forgive me for living life my way. Apart from you, my creator. I'm so sorry. I've treated your word lightly. I've treated your presence lightly. But no more. This day, I give my spirit, soul, and body everything I am, everything I have to you. Jesus, you are now my Lord. Thank you for bringing me into your family. I'm all yours. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.